time of year we've got changing conditions as the hot subsides and the cool down begins bass edge radios coming at you with episode 239 speaking of changing conditions kurt did you know that megaware keel guard has a brand new logo no aaron i had no idea tell me more about it well you're gonna have to wait to see that but one thing that has not changed is the quality of service and products that they offer protect your boat from grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete boat ramps by visiting them at keelguard.com. That's right. It works, Keelguard. Bass Edge Radio is ready and fired up. Let's begin the show right now. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keelguard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keelguard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Kurt, a lot to talk about today, so I'm going to get right to it and avoid the small talk. But, you know, one thing I do want to throw at you is, is give you a compliment. A lot of times I know I'm always on your case. But, you know, most media wait until the winner is announced and then they interview the winner. You're right. so good. Kurt Dove of Bass Edge calls the winner in advance of one of the biggest tournaments of the year. And we get him on beforehand. That's right. That's right. John Cox won the FLW Cup. We were talking about uh, shallow water, summertime fishing with John in a recent episode. And uh, he went out and did the big slam, bam, thank you, ma'am, right on the uh, Lake Wheeler at the FLW Cup. Huge win. Congrats to uh, Mr. John Cox. Don't forget to go back and check out those interviews because he really breaks down exactly Exactly what he did in the cup prior to the cup itself. So. Exactly, Kurt. And I saw the I saw the photos on on Bass Blaster, you know, that comes to our email every every right. couple times a week. And it, there he was in the aluminum boat back in this you know small slough area, what it looked like, and, and doing the exact same thing that he shared with all of us there at that last episode. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, and and if you you know listen obviously to our previous episode, but also at the same time, if you're not getting Bass Blaster and didn't know about all this, be sure to sign up for Jay Kumar's Bass Blaster. Comes right to your email. 
getting a lot of great deets. You sign up through Bass Blaster at BassGold.com. Just send Jay an email. Tell him you want to be included on the uh, list. And, and you can learn all kinds of things about Justin Lucas's win uh, over on the Potomac River, how Jason Christie busted a 23-pound bag, just talking about lots of stuff and really small tidbits also about a lot of interesting topics going on all throughout the country. And, you know, one of the things before we, we head right into the segment, because it is a very interesting segment because yes. it's a topic that's often imitated but rarely executed, you know, and I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, school is now in session. All the kids are back in session. And I've got a feeling this episode is going to stack up to be one of great educational value for Bass Edge Nation. Yeah, we've got a gentleman that's going to come on and, and talk a little bit about how he dissects the, uh, some of these late summertime tactics and early fall techniques that will put more fish in your boat. Let's do it right now. We're going to get him on the phone. We're ready for the Angler Spotlight. Not telling you who it is. Stay with us right here after this short break. Bass Edge Radio. Bass Edge in the studio today. We've got a young angler that is making some serious noise on the tournament trail. Just off a runner-up showing at the FLW Forcewood Cup, we have TVA expert with us, Michael Neal. Great to have you on the show, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a great year, and I uh, look forward to sharing some information with you. Well, it has been a great year, Michael, and it certainly did not take you very long on tour to show the knowledge and the understanding that you have of TVA Lakes. Can you share with us your thoughts about how you achieved you know that knowledge and are really able to put that into success while on the water yeah i mean i grew up on lake chickamauga that's my home lake Uh, it's a tva lake but also i fished watts bar fort loudon i mean the whole tva chain donnersville a lot they all have similarities while they're all different but there's still a bunch of similarities they have being tva lakes they're all current oriented um some have got grass some don't i mean it's just a matter of going out there and I'm going to fish offshore if there's any way possible. That's what I like to do. That's where I'm most comfortable. Uh, that's probably my best strength is fishing offshore, but the fish aren't always out there, even on the TVA lakes. So um, it was just a lot of lot of trial and error. Uh, I grew up fishing team tournaments with my uncle, and he's a very well-known offshore fisherman at home. So I had a very good mentor as far as showing me the, the TVA lakes and how they operate and how to fish offshore instead of having to beat the bank all the time. Good stuff there, Michael. i got to ask this question quick question you know specifically concerning the summer months i mean we're kind of getting right here in september right now but uh you know there's a lot of people out there that fished over these last couple months and said you know i just don't quite get what i'm missing out there if if you can pinpoint something that you know you're fishing a, a ledge or somewhere out deep on a tva lake and you see a boat out there in the distance or something and and you might recognize man they're close but they're not quite getting it what do you see that most anglers struggle with to understand to have success on these TVA fisheries? Um, I, I would say there's two things that I see a lot of mistakes with. Uh, one would be as far as how to line up on a place. It seems like a lot of people can mark the fish with their electronics, but they actually don't throw where the school is. And a bunch of people are real big advocates for marker buoys, but for me, the way I fish, they actually kind of mess me up a lot. I've actually tried to throw a marker buoy out, turn around, line back up on my place, and then I, while I'm casting, I look at my GPS of how I usually fish and just line up and it's it's off 
I don't know how it happens, but something with that throwing a marker buoy out, a lot of times you've got the current and it'll wash it downstream and you don't realize it. Or the waves come through and it unravels some. So, I mean, that's a big difference. And how I line up on those places is I'll look, I'll go in straight lines over the top of the ledge, perpendicular to it. That way I'm, I can come down the drop and get up on top of it both. And I'll look, when I mark the fish, I'll look dead behind my motor. And whatever's back there is what I'll be throwing at. So that's that's a good lineup for to know always where you've got to cast to make sure you come through that school. You want to sit not too far away, but you don't want to get on top of them either. So, like, when my graph starts breaking off the drop um, on the ledge is when I'll start turning my boat. And when you look at your graph, there'll be several little horseshoes going back and forth. And that's a good reference to where you can set your boat at the back of those horseshoes if you start turning around to go back over the ledge when you start breaking off. That's a good good area. The position is right in there. That's going to put you real close to being in the right spot for the fish. So even though in this day and age of, of technology that we have, you still have to go a little bit old school, and you, and you might be picking out a tree or something like that that lines up with your graph, your markings on the graph that you'll still be throwing out because that doesn't move during the current like a marker buoy will. Right. No, I, I always use something behind me, whether it's a tree, a dock, uh, a power line, something that I can reference to where I know I'm making the exact cast. Because I mean, some of the schools you catch your bigger fish out of on the TVA lakes may not have eight or ten fish in them. So that's going to be a fairly small school, so it's got to be a fairly specific cast to get them to fire up for you. The, the other thing I would say that some people don't understand totally is where and how the fish position on the ledges. Um, it's something that I always look for differences in a ledge instead of just going on a straight break somewhere. I always want to find a high spot or a depression or a creek channel or a little point. I mean, there's always differences on every ledge just about where the fish are sitting. There's a reason for them being there. And you always want it to be 95% of the time you want it to be facing into the current. A lot of times people, I see them looking at stuff that's facing away from the current. And in the summertime, the fish want the current, so they want to be facing into it. So that would be one thing I would be sure to tell people to key on is to make sure you're looking at the right, the correct side of it, the side facing into the current. Wow, that's good stuff right there. And kind of sticking with that theme during the forest wood cup you were really able to take advantage of schooling fish you know something that's either if you find them people love it but those that are kind of out of finding where those schooling fish and what's going on and truly understanding them it can be a very long day if you don't encounter that and it's really not a a topic that we often discuss here on bass edge is that something that you typically try and key on or look for in the summertime during the late summer like end of july august september i always like to try and find some schooling fish it's usually that time of year it's really tough just to even grind out a limit so if you can find some schooling fish to just get make sure you've got a limit in the boat and then go search for bigger ones that's always fine and good but seems like the case at these forestwood cups that schooling fish always play a part i mean gag they already won on schooling fish two years ago uh, almost won on schooling fish this year played a part at Wachita last year. So, I mean, it's uh, it's something that this time of year is you definitely need to try and have in your back pocket. They can be really finicky like they were to, at the Cup this year, or they could eat whatever hits the water. I mean, it's just something that depends on the day, really. I mean, in practice, they bit a lot better than they did in the tournament for me. Uh, you could throw just about any bait out there and get bit, but then in the, in the tournament, it was a whole lot different. I actually found the fish looking for offshore fish. Uh, it's kind of a, a unique place on that lake. On the lower end of Wheeler, there's not a whole lot of offshore places for fish to live. 
And because uh, it's, I mean, it's just really deep. There's lots of bluff walls and real steep rocky banks and things. And uh, this place I was fishing was just a, a point that come off the bank. It's not one you can visually see with your eyes. It was just an underwater point. It went out probably 150, 200 yards off the bank. So, I mean, it had a place for the fish to live out deep offshore, and it had a place for fish to live this time of year, schooling up shallower on it. And it also had a little pocket to it to where the fish could actually spawn. So, I mean, it was a place that I knew was going to hold fish year-round because it had every characteristic that it needed to hold them. So, I mean, that's why I actually found them. I was looking for offshore fish out there a little bit deeper, and I saw them come up schooling. That's actually how I found quite a bit of my places. I mean, I wasn't necessarily fishing when I found all the schooling fish. I was looking at my electronics trying to find those fish out deep and they would come up and show themselves you know that's a super exciting way to fish it's it's really exciting you know watching the uh, flw coverage you know if anybody saw it you can see these fish break around michael and, and there's just a ton of activity going on and uh, he's really you know kind of dialed into a precise kind of strategy of how to catch these fish michael when you're out there you know you, you mentioned you were looking out deep and then you start seeing some schooling fish you know let's say a bass edge listener is idling away from a dock this morning and and they're thinking you know what it'd be fun to do what Michael did at the Forcewood Cup. Do you suggest that they go out looking for different types of structure to help them, you know, scan and find these fish? Or is it just a matter of really covering a lot of water and looking for these breaking bass this time of year? Um, I mean, it's a, it's both. You have to look in the right areas, but you also have to run a lot of water. It seems like your, your more tapering points uh, this time of year are good. Uh, the backs of the creeks are starting to get good. The mouths of them at those points. I mean, there's all kinds of different places but you just don't want to go down a straight bank with no different contour to it there's probably not going to be a schooling fish there they hold more or less on the same kind of structure a lot of times that they do offshore just a lot shallower i mean you still want to find some sort of little difference to where you can find those fish but like i said you just got to run a lot of it there's thousands of points in every lake and there may be six or seven that they actually school on so i mean it's just a minor trial and error but what's weird is the fish will go back to the same ones year after year after year i mean i I didn't know it at Wheeler, but apparently that place was a place that the fish have schooled for years and years and years, and I just... I looked up and found it. Right, right. That's cool. I'm going to take this back just a little bit. So we're, let's let's take a look at kind of the summer patterns real quickly before we go to break. You know, you talk about uh, how much you really enjoy fishing out deep and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, spawn late March, April, you know, some early mid-May, depending on weather conditions on a particular year. But that deep bite really starts to go in June and, um, you know, kind of early July. And then things start to change. Can you explain to listeners, you know, exactly what? What are the specific behavioral patterns that happen through those summer months, you know, say through June, July, and August, that creates these different um, opportunities for anglers to catch fish in different ways? Yeah, June's by far the best month to offshore school fish. They're always out there. And, I mean, like you said, they're easy to catch in June. And then July, the schools get smaller. And August, the schools get smaller. And at some point, they become non-existent. June, I always fish for schools offshore. July, I'll still fish for some schools, but I'll also mix in one fish places uh, like stumps, uh, brush piles, uh, deeper grass clumps if you've got grass, uh, different things like that. The fish start to bust up. I'm not sure exactly what it is at that time of year that makes them do it. I don't know if it's the pressure or anything like that, but they just, the schools get smaller and the fish also get smaller. The, the later in the year, the bigger fish seem to move up a little bit shallower. And with that being said, I mean, July, August, that time of year, the water seems to re- get really, really hot. 
and the oxygen down deeper actually depletes somewhat. So that's why a lot of your fish start moving up shallower. A lot of people get hung up in that, oh, it's really, really hot, we've got to go deeper. The water temperature at Wheeler was around 90 degrees, first of August, and not a single person probably weighed in a fish over eight feet deep. I mean, and that's totally backwards from the common way of thinking. You would think you'd need right. to be out there 20, 30 feet deep. I think it's got to do with the oxygen depletion. Uh, if you notice that time of year, too, all the balls of bait start coming up towards the top where you can visually see them with their eyes. And I think the, the highest oxygen concentration is up there shallower in the water column. So I think that's why they do that. And uh, August, around me, pretty much, the schools are done. I mean, you might find one place every once in a while if they're really, really moving a lot of water. Uh, you can find them grouped up on a little shallower 8 to 10 foot place. But other than that, those typical offshore 15, 18 feet deep fish are gone. And I mean, probably not going to be back till May. August, that's why I like to look for schooling fish. You've still got to fish for singles on those same cover oriented places, rock piles, brush piles, stumps, things like that. But to get a limit, it's just about guaranteed you got to find some schoolers. Sweet, dude. You're breaking it down like no other. <laughs> this is a great interview. I appreciate it. We got to take a short break. Then we're going to return to Bass Edge Radio in a moment with more from FLW Tour Pro, Michael Neal. Sign up to become an O'Reilly O Rewards member today and start earning instantly. O Rewards members earn $5 back for every $150 they spend, so if you haven't become a member yet, what are you waiting for? It's fast, easy, and free. O Rewards, it's your road to exclusive offers only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bass Edge returns with professional angler Michael Neal in our Angler Spotlight, brought to you in part by MegaWare KeelGuard. Be sure to protect your boat from harmful rocks and road debris. Visit KeelGuard.com. Hey, Michael, before we get into more of the fishing tactics, let's chat quickly about some of the quite remarkable past performances that you've had, none of which, uh, I mean, when I look at this list, it's, it's very impressive. Three-time BFL winner and three-time second place at tour events. One of the things that we focus on kind of is also the psychology portion, you know, of, of the fishing competition. And do you feel it's just more of a timing deal on getting that tour win? Or do you feel you kind of really need to uh, change things up to get over that hump? I think it's things just have to go exactly right. There's so many variables out there, so many things that are out of your control, and every single thing of every minute of every tournament day has to go your way. You can't lose fish. You can't break fish off. You have to make the best decisions all the time, and a lot of times it seems like something happens that shouldn't. You might get an eight-pounder wrapped around the dock, and it wraps around three times, and you miraculously get him in. I mean, that's, that's your time to win. Like, the second BFL I won, I flipped a six-pounder in the boat on 15-pound line. It was not by... <laughs> that I meant to do it. Uh, I was fishing offshore at Gunnersville. It was in the middle of May, and I, I caught one. I had like 19 pounds in the boat in the first hour. Threw a big bucktail jig out there, and it was falling, and I felt a bite. And I set the hook into it, and I, my co-angler said, you need the net? And I said, no, it's just a little one. And it just it ran at me the whole time, I guess, and it got to the boat, and it come up and jumped. And I said, well, I got one choice, either try and fight it and let him get the net or try and flip it in. And I flipped it in, and it hit the bottom of the boat, and the hook popped out. And I looked at my 
co-angler right then. I said, it's over. I won. I mean, that's that's, that's something that just doesn't happen. Right, right. But, uh, that's the, when you're all jacked is, up. You got the juices flowing, and it's like, oh, my God, today is my day, right? Right. I mean, you know it. Uh, and that's just like, I mean, the times I've come in second, it's it's their time to win. And it, it really stings. And uh, especially the first one at Pickwick when Hackney won. I mean, that one, that one really got to me. I mean, I was fishing the way it was supposed to be won out deep, and he was fishing with his power poles down on an offshore lake and actually and still beat me so i mean it stung it, it takes more of a mentality i would say to get over coming in second and not get down and keep moving forward than sit there and just i mean it's easy to do just kind of feel sorry for yourself almost because you got beat but i mean at the end of the day it, you weren't the best if you come in second so i mean it, it's coming i hope it'd be on tennessee river that'd be really nice but i'd sure take one about anywhere <laughs> you ain't lying Every, everybody would wouldn't they i'm gonna change gears real quick flw tour schedule next year do they have any tva events on the on the schedule they got uh let's see cumberland that's not really tva obviously that's cumberland river but i don't know do they have any tva lakes next year we got gunnersville first one so First Gunnersville, first one. So that might line right up to you. We're almost in your backyard right there. So I've, I've got a little history there. I mean, it's not, I can be at a boat ramp in a little over an hour from the house. So I can, I'm, I'm going to show you I'm going to spend some time down there this winter. You bet. Well, hopefully one of those wins comes for you next year. It's pretty exciting to watch. So obviously we're getting into fall right here. You were talking a little bit earlier about the uh, deep fishing and how it's kind of waning uh, this time of year, specifically in August. And now that we're, you know, jumping right into September. So how are you? going to attack some of this early fall feeding locations will you try to just kind of go shallow or really focus on staying in your comfort zone out deep I'm going to fish no more than 10 feet deep from here through November. It seems like used to, at Chickamauga at least, the fish would still be out there somewhat in September, but I don't know if things are changing. It's like they get out deep later at home now, and they go back up shallower now quicker. I'm not sure what exactly changed that as a whole, but it's like now there's non-existent fish out there offshore at this time of year. So I'm going to go find the areas of the lake that I know hold fish. It's just like fishing offshore. Or you can find the area of the lake, a big creek or something that you know holds fish in the spring. Those fish are going to come out somewhere and position themselves offshore. So it's a good place to start looking. Well, if you know the offshore places, then you also reversely know which way they're going to go up back up shallower. Just like that place at Wheeler. They were living out there offshore deeper where I was, and they moved up shallower and on that same point. may not be the same exact point, but somewhere in that area, the fish live there. I mean, that's their home. That's their area they know like the back of their hand, and that's where they're going to be. So that's where I'm going to go start looking. And quickly, Michael, what are your go-to lures for attacking those areas that you just spoke of? This time of year, my go-to one lure would probably be a chatterbait for searching for fish. It's something I've probably won more money on on the tour than I have any other bait. That's my confidence lure when I'm fishing shallow. You can cover water with it, um, and it's just something that's going to generate a lot of bites. You can catch them if they are schooling on it, if they're not. I mean, it's just something you can go and throw, and it's just going to get a lot of bites, and you can definitely find the schools of fish and i mean even even this time of year the fish will still be somewhat schooled up even if they're shallower for instance like a chickamauga if you find the right grass point or scattered out clumps or whatever it may be you can sit there and catch 15 20 fish in an hour out of one 50 yard area so i mean that doesn't mean that this time of year there's no schools they're just not schooled up offshore anymore good deal we're going to move right into our o'reilly auto parts better parts better prices every day listener question segment just 
be perfect for your neck of the woods because you know everybody's been talking about how high pressure Gunnersville and Chickamauga and 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 several of those TVA lakes down there are beginning lately. And John from Texas asked this question: When the fishing pressure gets high, lots of boats on a lake, where and how do you prefer to fish to increase your odds of catching more bass? You know, on, on Chickamauga, it seems like uh, I mean it's a big bass factory, but it seems like more and more especially in the springtime when the pressure is the highest, I'm actually having to go to finesse tactics. Um, I'll actually pick up a spinning rod a lot and throw things like a shaky head. Uh, it seems backwards, but you still catch the big eight, nine, ten pound fish on those, that finesse tactics. They just can't resist it. I mean, the lighter line, the fish get conditioned a little bit to have your line. So if you can back down your line size, the six or eight pound test line, you're going to generate more bites. Smaller baits are going to generate more bites. I mean, it's just something... And it, this carries over from the tour knowledge as well. I mean, in practice, a lot of times you'll go out there and you'll, you'll just slaughter them. And then once everybody's out there for three days catching fish and handling them and all that, tournament day gets a lot tougher. So, I mean, it's a lot of adaptation to, to the pressure while fishing the tour. And, I mean, a lot of times that comes down to who makes the adjustments to go to those lighter line techniques, those more finesse techniques, and uh, that's oftentimes who comes out on top. So, I mean, that's what I would say the, the heavy pressured areas is your drop shots, um, your shaky heads, and even with your moving baits, go smaller on them. Downsize your trailers on jigs, on chatterbaits, those small profile spinner baits, a little bit smaller crankbaits, things like that are always going to help you generate more bites on those heavily pressured areas. So, Michael, would that be applicable to, you know, the lures and techniques that you speak of? But, you know, a lot of these spots get hit several times. Do you have a problem, you know, pulling in behind somebody? Or should Bass Edge Nation have a problem with, you know what, if that spot, this particular stretch of bank just was visited by a boat in front of you and then coming back in behind them? No, I wouldn't have any problem going behind somebody i mean especially with a finesse technique i mean a lot of times in the like fishing the tour tournaments i'll go down a bait with a like power fishing go down a bank and then turn around and come back with a finesse application and catch three times as many as i caught going down at the first time so i mean that doesn't that doesn't really bother the fish i don't think but um you wouldn't really want to fish somebody doing the exact same thing you wouldn't want to fish behind them but I mean, a lot of times somebody else is going to do something a little bit different. You're going to work your bait a little bit different. And, I mean, it's from one person to the next, you could be throwing the same exact bait, and one person is going to catch twice as many fish. So that's not a big deal. And one other thing I would say on these heavily pressured lakes is, and I've seen it several times, actually turning the sonar off on your electronics can make a difference. I remember fishing the Bass Open at Douglas Lake. You have to find them out there deep just about with your electronics, but I would get up there and idle over top of them, and I would see them and then i would turn around and cast and i wouldn't ever get a bite and i was like well i know that's them 100 percent and then i'll back over them they'd be gone so i finally figured out if i would mark the fish and then line them up with whatever it was on the bank and actually put a waypoint where i would be setting my boat that i could come back 30 minutes later and catch them so they actually get conditioned to the pinging of the sonar on the electronics sometimes well michael thank you for answering that question and john you just received the master's class on on your question. So one thing I need from you, though, is be sure to log on to BassEdge.com, hit the Claim Your Prize segment, or send us an email at support at BassEdge.com. Let us know you heard your question answered by Michael on the show, and we will send out that O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. As always, Bass Edge Nation, make sure you send those questions to us via email at support at Bass Edge, or leave us a comment through our Facebook page or Twitter page. Well, Michael, great job at the Cup, and also fantastic job on the interview 
we will be rooting for you to get that win during the 2017 tour season. Before we wrap up the interview, anything you want to leave us with today? Uh, I would just say one thing I always like to tell people is make sure to try and take a kid fishing. I mean, that's why I am where I am today. I mean, I'm 24 years old and I had three very influential people. My dad, my grandfather, and my uncle all would take me fishing anytime they got the opportunity. So I would urge everybody to make sure that you keep the kids interested in the outdoors. It's going to keep them out of a lot of trouble and it's going to keep our sport growing. Awesome stuff, Michael. Great having you on the show today. Thanks for spending the time with us. Bass Edge will return after this quick break. This is 2015 Bass Angler of the Year, Aaron Martins, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. So look, here's the deal, man. I knew that Michael Neal was, uh, you know, a polished young young guy, but man, I didn't know. I, I mean, I don't know, dude. I'm I'm impressed. Dude's 24 years old. He's got knowledge out the wazoo. Great interview, Aaron. That was awesome, dude. It was amazing. Just take the question that was asked from John from Texas during the O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question. I mean, he knocked that thing out of the park. We could have spent a whole episode just talking about that. But two things that really stuck out to me, Kurt, was he was talking about that later in the year, you know, the schools and the fish get smaller and the fish in those schools get smaller. Then the bigger fish go to more of the shallower water because the oxygen depletes down deeper, highest O2s in the shallowest water. The other thing that he said, never heard this before as far as on Bass Edge, I'm familiar with it because of drop shotting, that type of thing, but turning the sonar off once you locate the fish out on those ledges. Yeah, that's being dialed in right there. That's being dialed in, kind of understanding what's going on and really able to try different things. You know, he talked a lot about, you know, his upbringing and, and how how important that was to his maturity and fishing. And, um, you know, it just shows with all the different little tips and techniques that he provided us today right here on Bass Edge Radio that we can take those and uh, be more efficient on the water, specifically with deep water fishing. I was also really intrigued and, you know, obviously being able to spend a lot of time on the water in the in the summer months, but seeing those different stages of how the bait fish react from, say, June, July, and then into August where they're kind of down on on the bottom early in the summer fish are easier to catch out deep and then how they start rising and, and like you mentioned the oxygen content that Michael presented to us and uh, you know how that really changes the fishing and makes it so much tougher later in the summer you know specifically in in August and uh, how he was able to adjust with those things even though he loves offshore deep water fishing he's able to adjust and make some changes to have success and specifically have better performance than 
than several of the anglers out there that are phenomenal. This young man is, I, I really feel like he's going to, he's going to be making a long-term name for himself in this sport, especially in the deep water arena. But uh, the more he gets apt to these other conditions and learns more lakes in different parts of the country, I can see it all coming together for Michael Neal. Absolutely. And uh, he did a great job of breaking down what most of us as anglers know, a very laborious process for that September fishing. And speaking of uh, laboring, we've got a a three-day holiday weekend coming up, Labor Day. I hope all of the Bass Edge Nation is able to get out there on the water and and enjoy some time uh, making a cast or two, or if nothing else, like Michael said, just take a kid fishing. Next time, September 15th, big, big show, some big announcements coming. You're not going to want to miss it because we're going to cover an angler that probably has never been covered like this before on some of the questions and picking his brain. So be sure to tune in next time right here on Bass Edge Radio, September 15th. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin and the rest of the Bass Edge crew. We will talk to you on the other side. So long, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.